morning, everyone. Great to see you all today. This is the uh, third leg of our triathlon of belief. We're just launching today. Last fall, uh, we talked about ten truths that form the foundation of our faith that, that we believe. Then after the first of the year, we talked about ten ways we should behave as a result of those beliefs. And now we're moving into ten virtues, ten things that we want to and will become as we live out this faith. And the first of those is, today, it's love. And uh, we have a key question every week, and it's, this week is, how can I love others unconditionally and sacrificially? And we have a key idea every week as you're reading through your Believe material, and I really hope you're doing that as you're uh, preparing for your Ohana groups. But uh, let's go back to that title slide one time. And uh, there it is. Let's, let's de declare this together by faith, okay? I am committed to loving God and loving others. That reminds us of, well, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God passionately and their neighbors themselves. That came, as you may remember, from Jesus' interaction with an expert in the law who came to him and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. But Jesus wasn't through. He went on. He said, And the second is like unto it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, have you ever wished that uh, Jesus had just limited his response to the one? Because how many, how many commands did he ask him for? Just one, right? But Jesus gave him two. If Jesus had just stopped at the one, we'd be good. We'd say, I can love God. I'll just love God, but the people around me, that's another story, right? I mean, I mean, people sometimes are the problem, right? They drive us crazy. They bring the worst out in us. They make us spiteful and hateful. And if we could just love God and forget, no, that's not what Jesus said, that uh, we are to love God and love people. In fact, he said if we'll do that, we'll fulfill the law because that really comprises the entirety of the law of Moses, interestingly. Well, we're going to look in just a moment at John's letter. There's three letters, not the Gospel of John, same writer, but toward the end of the New Testament, he wrote letters to individuals and to house churches. And uh, in these letters, he wove together concept of the love of God and the way that we are to love others. And I want us to consider that, but before we do, I want to mention about a, a person named Andrea Mosconi, who goes to work every morning in Cremona, Italy, just southeast of Milan, and to the city hall, because city hall there houses a museum. And in that museum, there's eight instruments, seven violins and a cello, that date back to the 16 and 1700s. And he goes to those multi-locked cases every morning, six days a week, every day but Sunday, seven, uh, 11 months a year, and then he takes some vacation in August, and he goes from one case to another and pulls out one of those violins and plays it for seven to eight minutes, Bartok or Tchaikovsky or Bach. And uh, these are not any, just any instruments. They were made 
Yeah, back in the 1600s, 1700s, by the Amati family, the Guarneri family, and the Stradivari family. And they are the treasures of this town because this is where they came from. And violin experts uh, say that the wood gets tired. And if they're not tuned and played on a regular basis, they won't have that superior quality that these violins have. And so that's his job. He comes every morning in a coat and tie, does that for an hour before the museum opens, and then closes up the cases and goes home. And his workday is done. Wouldn't you like to have a job like that? <laughs> well, in fact, we do have a job that has been assigned to us by the Lord that is even more important than that and kind of relates to that. Because... The reason these instruments are so precious is because who of who made them, okay? And what they're worth. Well, every person, including you, has been made by God, right? He's the maker. And not only that, but what are we worth? The precious blood of his son Jesus. That determines our value. He was willing to pay that for us and for every person around us. And so what God gives to us is an instrument called his love, which we can use to display to others so that they're tuned and out of their lives is brought forth the beautiful, sweet music that God intended. But it's the instrument of God's love that makes that possible and his plan and design is that it should flow through our lives. We receive it from him and then we pass it on to the people around us. And that's what John talks about here. And I want to uh, just share a few principles from this passage there in your outline, in your bulletin, that relate to that love. But, 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 but I have to say this first. When it comes to God's love, we got to believe it that he loves us. And sometimes we struggle with that, right? Because we're looking at ourselves and our performance and uh, how we're doing and we're not quite convinced that God loves us. And when bad things happen in our lives, well, how come he didn't prevent that? Does he really love me? And so sometimes we struggle with God's love. God's made it abundantly clear, folks, that he loves you and me with an unbelievable love. So we got to believe that and then we got to receive that. In fact, I wondered, as we were going to talk about God's love this morning, if we were to take a survey and uh, have you put on your connection card, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much you think God loves you? I wonder what you'd put. We'd probably have a whole range of numbers, but I suspect there would be very few 10s, okay? But in fact, every one of us, in actuality, would have to put a 10 if we were going to hit the nail on the head because God has that kind of a love for you. He does. He always has had. He knew you before you were born. He created you. He made you. And uh, he has provided his son to redeem you. He loves you that much. Now, let's consider the implications of that love. First one is this. Believing and receiving God's amazing love obligates us to love others. John uh, says this, beginning in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And you think, well, wait a minute. You don't have to be a believer to love. Yes, you do. When it's talking about this kind of love. I'll get to that in a minute. This is a different kind of love. This is not a love that the world understands or employs, okay? This is God's kind of love. And then he says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want you to notice the ought there. We ought to love one another. In verse 20, he continues, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's just theory. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And now to the ought, we've added a must. We ought to love others. We must love others. And there are a lot of people, and maybe you've been one of them, that objects to the oughts and the musts and the shoulds that are in the Christian faith. We don't like rules. We like to do things because we feel like doing them, not because we should do them, right? And I remember a long time ago, uh, back in the last century, uh, when I was a teenager, and my dad said, you must respect your mother. You ought to do this. And in fact, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. And I'm sure it did happen more than once. But why in the world should a teenager respect his or her mother? Right? Well, maybe because she bore you for nine months and, and then got up in the night, timeless times, to feed you and change you and care for you and through the years cleaned up after you and sacrificially shared with you and just gave a verse. Maybe those are some reasons. But it takes us a while to figure that out. And maybe it is true with the love of God because we haven't fully grasped the greatness of God's love for us then we don't understand the responsibility, then we have to share that, the obligation we have to share that with others. And part of the problem, too, is we don't understand love, not this kind of love. Because we have so many different things that we love, and it all means the same thing. We may say, oh, I love my wife, and I really love bacon. I smelled it yesterday morning, you know. But are those the same, you know? Or we may say, I love Jesus, and I love chocolate. Okay, are they the same? Well, sometimes, I mean, this last week, stuff shows up in our office downstairs, and it was Easter, right? And this showed up on the table down there, and if you can uh, see that it's Russell Stover chocolate, Jesus. Who would even dare eat that thing, you know? It's, <laughs> it's still there on the table. Okay. <laughs> But it's confusing. I mean, is it the same kind of love? I hope not. Uh, the New Testament writers were faced with this dilemma. When they wanted to talk about God's love and the way we should love others, they had several words to choose from, from the Greek language. They weren't going to use eros, from which we get the word erotic, which means a physical, sensual, sexual kind of love. No, that's not the kind of love we're talking about. They weren't going to use even phileo, which was a friend love, uh, an affection. Uh, it wasn't strong enough. It wasn't unconditional. They couldn't go with that. They took 
a little used word in the Greek language and infused it with new meaning. It's almost like they created a new word out of this word agape. And agape, and you've heard of that probably, it means a sacrificial commitment to act on another's behalf. Not based on feelings, not based on the merit of the one being loved. No, it's a sacrificial commitment to act in that person's best interest. That's the love that is spoken of here. That's agape that is being translated in these passages. Now, agape has several characteristics. I'll mention about three here. Agape is unconditional. In other words, it isn't dependent upon the person being loved. It's a decision made by the lover to act on that person's behalf. Sometimes marriages are conditional, right? If you meet my needs and satisfy my demands and measure up to my standards, I will love you. Friendships are often conditional. And, and we're raised with that. Sometimes uh, parents kind of communicate that to their children, that as long as they're performing, they're going to be loved. We, we, we un, just thinkingly do that. But that's not God's kind of love. No, no, no. His is unconditional, and that's how he has loved us. Sometimes we think, well, if I just stopped doing this, God would love me more. Or if I started doing this, God would, no, no, it isn't. That's not God's kind of love. I mean, it, it, he just loves you because he made you. And, uh, I mean, think of your children. And especially if you're a grandparent, think of your grandchildren. There is a love there that isn't dependent on what they do or don't do. You just love them. Sometimes we're disappointed, but it doesn't change our love. God's agape is unconditional. Secondly, God's agape is sacrificial. As I said, love is a feeling. In fact, uh, the dictionary defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection. But agape is a decision that results in an action. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so when we practice agape, we're deciding to act in someone's best interest. We act upon it. The feelings may come. But we want to start with a feeling, don't we? I want to feel good about that person, then I can begin to act on their behalf. No, no. Agape starts with the decision, the action, and the feelings may come later, later and it's sacrificial. It, it gives time. It, 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 it spends uh, whatever is necessary for that relationship. And that's agape love. Sacrificial. And then God's agape is forgiving. That's just the nature of it. And here's the thing. When we came to Christ, I mean, he uh, forgave us, but it wasn't a one-time forgiveness, right? It wasn't like, okay, I'll forgive you up to this point. From now on, you're on your own. <laughs> We'd be in trouble, right? I mean, don't we need God's forgiveness continually? Absolutely. That's called grace. And so that's what he calls us to in our relationships with one another. To have a lifestyle of forgiveness. Because I'll tell you something that you already know. And that is, when you grow close to people, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in family relationships, in a church family, uh, the closer you get, conflict is just inevitable. It's going to happen. You're not always going to agree. Not everybody is 
lovely all the time. I tend to be that way myself, but some of you guys aren't. No, I'm just kidding. Ask my wife, right? Uh, no, sometimes we're not lovely, and sometimes the people we are around aren't either, but, but agape just builds that in, that continual grace and forgiveness. That's God's kind of love. And so here's the thing. Uh, believing and receiving that kind of love from God obligates us to pass on that kind of love to others. Secondly, believing and receiving God's amazing love empowers us to love others. This is important. And I'll tell you why. Because every religion has oughts, musts, and shoulds built right into them, okay? But Christianity uniquely uh, gives us not only the command to love, but the capacity to love others in a couple of ways that I want to show you. But first, let's see it in this passage. Verse 9. John said, this is how God showed his love among us. He didn't just talk about it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. But now that Christ has come, we'll live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. It wasn't our idea. No, we were oblivious to loving him, but when we saw his love for us through Christ coming to give his life for us, that called forth from us love for him in two ways. You know, when somebody does something amazingly sacrificial, doesn't that inspire us? That happened in that San Bernardino uh, terrorist act a while back. I read the account of a woman uh, who was just petrified and this guy just grabbed her and shielded his body with his, and he took the bullet for her. She said she'd never forget that, and I just get chicken skin thinking about it. I mean, that inspires us when we hear of a sacrificial love like that. Well, Jesus, the sinless one, stepping into this world and giving his life and suffering and being separated from his Father, whom he'd been with for all of eternity, I mean, if that doesn't call forth love from us, that inspires us. But that's not the end of it. It's more than inspiration. Remember earlier in this passage in verse 7, he said, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So when a child is born, don't they receive the DNA of their parents? They receive that very nature of their parents. And when we are, when we put our faith in Christ, we are born again. Our spirit comes alive, and now the spirit of God comes into us, and we become part of the family of God. God becomes our father. We become a child of God. And guess what? Peter said, we have implanted within us the divine nature. And so now, we not only are inspired by God's love for us, we are rewired and given a new nature and a capacity to love when we thought we could never love that person or that group of people. And now it's his love that enables us and empowers us to do just that. Sometimes we blow it. I don't know if you can identify with this, but sometimes we fail to show love that we really should. 
you think back this last week, did you ever fail? The other night, I was lying in bed, and it was like I just was reflecting on the day, and there was an incident that happened that was just appalling to me. And it was where someone had just failed miserably to show love when they had the opportunity to do so. And the worst part of it was, it was me. <laughs> you know that, you know uh, Charles Dickens who wrote in the early 1800s and he wrote A Christmas Carol? Frank DeLima repeated that. Frank came out with that uh, play about it. And uh, so maybe you read the book or saw DeLima's play. But in that, Ebenezer Scrooge was that hard-hearted, loveless, uncaring employer who just was mean, right? And then he's in bed, and there come the ghosts of Christmas past to talk to him and show him the scenes from his life where he has been so mean to other people, and it just changed his heart. Well, as I was laying there, it was kind of reminded me of that. It's like, oh, wow, there's that whole scene, and I, I should have done this, and I could have done that, and I just felt terrible. And I repented. God, forgive me for that, and help me to give me another opportunity to love that person and to not do that again and, and to learn from this. But, but then I reflected on it also, and maybe if you can think of a time when you were less than loving to someone this week. Do you think at that moment that God loved you any less? No, he didn't. No, he didn't love us any less when we failed to share his love with others. His love for us was constant. He may have been disappointed, but here's the thing. He loves us too much not to convict us, not to reveal to us how he wants more for us and to bless others through us. And so it doesn't separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Paul said in Romans 8. But, but, but God wants, he loves us too much to just leave us where we're at, and he wants to empower us more and more to love others with his agape love. So failure is a move forward as we look to the Lord and open our hearts to more of his love. Believing, receiving his love obligates us to love others. It empowers us to love others. And third, believing and receiving God's amazing love heals us, giving others a glimpse of God. Now that's saying a lot, isn't it? Giving others a glimpse of God. Well, that's what Scripture says. John says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, God's Spirit, Jesus said in John 4. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. No one has seen God, but Jesus was the image of the invisible God. In fact, he was God in flesh, and he would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was really true. But amazingly, now we're told that God's love poured through us gives others a view of God. They can see God in the way that we love. You see, we have been hurt by love. When it's been withheld, when it's been betrayed or whatever. And most of us at some point go from naivete to a point of disillusionment. And uh, our hearts are broken. And we need to be healed. And what can do that? The love of God. And, and sometimes it comes through people 
who expressed that to us, and we're healed in the process, in that kind of love that comes from God agape love. And then, as we love the people around us, God's healing is brought into their lives, and they become finely tuned, and that music begins to come from their lives as well that God intended. Because the people around us aren't always finely tuned, nor, nor are we, but the instrument that God has given us will bring that to pass. And so, back to Andrea Mosconi, he was asked, doesn't it get old to go into that museum every day and play those old instruments? I mean, don't you just kind of like check out and go through the motions? And uh, I read this in a, in a New York Times article. He said this, I have to pay attention. You have to give your best with these instruments. They make you sweat. Interesting. Seven to eight minutes on each of those minutes, instruments, but he's given it his best. And I thought, I think, I think that's what God's asking us to do in our marriages, with the people we work with, the people in this church, the people that surround us, strangers that we meet, that checkout person at the store. Uh, we'll no longer see them as nameless mannequins, but as masterpieces of God uh, as we understand that he, he made them. And uh, he's provided a sacrifice for their redemption as well. And so what we need to understand is we need to give our best. Sometimes people make us sweat. But it isn't even our love that's going to make the difference. We can offer what we have. But his love completes us and fills up the quota of love that they need to have from us. We say, I never could love that person after what he did or she did. I could never love this group of people. Maybe it's an ethnic group. Maybe it's the homeless. Maybe it's the extremely rich or, or whoever it might be. I could, well, maybe we can't. But God does. And if we'll open our hearts to his agape and begin to see them as he sees them and begin to pray for them and make a decision, guess what? His love will flow through us to them and uh, we'll be healed in the process. And they'll get a glimpse of God along the way. Another thing that uh, was in that article about Andrea Mosconi is um, he was speaking about his, those instruments. And uh, he said this about that museum. He said, I think this is the only place in the world where they are treated like we treat them. Well, Marsha, I know you treat your violin really well. <laughs> but you probably don't keep it in a locked case. <laughs> um, but it does bring forth beautiful music, I have to say that. But I thought about that. I thought, wow. Would that that could be said about the church when the church is gathered or when the church is scattered in the community uh, that there's nowhere else that people are treated as they're treated by believers. And they should be. What if that were said of Kaimuki Christian Church or the church generally through the islands uh, that, that people just understood that there's nobody that's going to treat people like those followers of Christ? That's what happened in the first century. That's why the church just grew exponentially and overcame the empire. Well, where's it going to start? It can start with you and with me. Not that we have to work up some kind of love. We just have to open our hearts to receive the love, to believe the love that God has for us. We've got to believe that every day. 
proclaim it because it's so powerfully spoken to us and illustrated to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. We've got to believe and receive that love and then choose. Remember, it's not a feeling. It's a decision. And then an action in the best interest of those around us. And then the feelings just may come. But we focus on God's agape and respect and respond to that love and offer that love to those around us. So I want to close with this. Possibly throughout this message, there have been a few people that have come to mind. Maybe two, three people. Maybe jot those down uh, or just in your mind. Make a mental note. But remember God's agape love is unconditional, sacrificial, and forgiving. Has there been someone that you've made your love conditional with, that you've withheld that love, that because of what they've done, you're just kind of backing off? Or maybe someone you've been unwilling to extend sacrificial love to that really needs it. They may need a phone call. They may need, may need you to spend some time with them. They may need some uh, just sacrificial monetary assistance, whatever it might be. Or, or maybe, now I'm really getting from preaching to meddling, there may be somebody in our lives that needs to be forgiven. Agape does that, right? It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. And we say, well, I don't know if I could ever forget. Wait a minute. Did you receive God's forgiveness? Ephesians 4 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Wow. That's, that's forgiveness. And so we say, well, I don't feel, no, wait a minute. It isn't about feelings, is it? You don't have to feel differently about the person. You've got to make a decision about that person. You don't even have to forget what happened. No, you can't forget, but what you can do is decide to start praying for that person, not to hold that against that, any per, that person any longer and begin acting in that person's best interest. That's God's agape, and that's what heals us and displays his love to those around us. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, I pray that we will each of us, each heart here, will receive because we believe your great love and then we will choose to extend it to those around us, offering it, your love to them. I pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.